Hello and welcome to We're Watching What? Or in the case of today, we're interviewing who? My guest today is Chris Williams. Chris is a writer-director. He's been working in the animation industry for almost 30 years. He was the director of Bolt and Big Hero 6. He was also the writer of Bolt. He was the co-director and a writer on Moana. And now he has a new film out called The Sea Beast on Netflix, in which he is, once again, a writer-director. We don't actually go into super spoilers for The Sea Beast, so you'd be fine to listen to it without having watched it, but I do recommend you watch it first. And then just a heads up, there's actually a major Moana spoiler and technically also a major Bambi spoiler so spoiler alert for those although I feel like the statute of limitations might be up on them but just a heads up on that and now without further ado here's we're interviewing who can we start with what was the most logistically challenging scene the most logistically challenging scene that's a good question because one answer is like all of them because I made the mistake of setting a, a movie out on the open ocean uh, with a ship full of sailors which makes almost every scene complicated I think probably offhand, the opening battle scene, the first sea monster encounter, was probably the most uh, probably the most complex from an effect standpoint, from a camera standpoint. Um, so I think it's probably that one. We had a lot of characters, we had a lot of uh, water effects, and a lot of uh, uh, ship logistics. One of the things we really wanted to uh, prioritize was this a feeling of immersion. And, and we wanted the world to feel very realized and plausible. So we, uh, we, we talked to experts on, on ships and, and how they function and how the organism of the crew and the ship work together and even naval tactics and weaponry and things like that. So, so we actually planned out the scenes in a way that would make sense. And we always knew the wind direction for any shot. So the sails were already always being sort of adjusted accordingly and would fill with, would fill with, um, with wind in a way that would that that made logical sense and it also meant that we really tried to pay attention to things like if the if the ship had to do a maneuver the the right members of the crew had to go to the right spots and pull in the right ropes to make those things happen and even if we're not focusing on it even if the camera isn't making a point of it it's happening and it just gives the 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 audience a feeling of of, of believability even if they don't know 100 percent why and, uh, and, and one of the things that we, one of the, the goals I set for us was that, that at the end of the day, when we're, when we're done this movie, we, we want people who are passionate about these tall ships to feel like we did a good job. You know, we wanted to hold ourselves to a high standard. Yeah, it's a, it gave me Master and Commander vibes. I, I hope you take that as a compliment. <laughs> um, I do. Yes. But it's so, you know, talking about that sequence, it's not only it's your opening sequence, it's this big action scene, but it's also our first introduction to these characters. So how do you infuse that like sense of storytelling into this high stakes, a million things going on moment? Mm. Well, it, you know, it's funny you mentioned Master and Commander because uh, one of our consultants was a guy named Gordon Lackow who had worked on Master and Commander. Oh, there we go. He was very knowledgeable. <laughs> very passionate. He was a great resource for us. And so a lot of it is, is just the, the research, you know, really understanding your stuff. And, and I'm sorry, the, 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 can you, can you repeat the question one more time? Yeah. So it's also our first introduction to these characters we're going to spend a lot of time to like, how do you get that sense of like personality into this high stakes, like a million things going on sequence? Yeah. Okay. Then and I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. You, that, that's a great question because one of the decisions we made early on was to let the audience engage the audience by by asking them to really to pose questions that get answered later. For a while, we had we experimented with scenes where we we um, explained more up front who the crew members were, what their responsibilities were, things like that. Uh, and we thought, you know, let, let's just drop people into the action 
and, and let them encounter, meet the characters and understand the relationship dynamics in the course of the action. And that, and, and I think that's a way of, of, um, uh, trusting the audience, you know, to, to put pieces together. And, uh, and so that was, that was the main thing we did was, was try to say, okay, if, if this ship is a real thing and the monster is a real thing, what tactics actually make sense? How would the ship actually take on something like this? And through the, the, the stress of that encounter, reveal the character dynamics and the relationships and how the ship works. So pivoting to emotions, what do you think the most emotionally challenging scene was to get right? Oh my gosh. Um, well, you probably can infer from watching this movie that I'm a fan of, of big action scenes, right? I, I, I wouldn't have gathered that at all. <laughs> <laughs> I am, I am a definitely a child of George Miller. I grew up loving his movies and I've probably watched, watched the Road, Road Warrior more than any other movie ever. And, and I've always loved his, his approach where he just pushes. You know, he, he doesn't just do what is necessary. He goes beyond. He, he'll do everything he can to thrill an audience. But I also have uh, an appetite for the quiet moments, you know. Um, I, I love Babe as well. Uh, speaking of George Miller and yep, yep. Paddington 2, I think, I hold up as one of the all-time greatest movies. So I love the really sweet and quiet moments as well. And so I, I really wanted to find a balance as far as the personality of this movie between those high-octane scenes and those quieter moments. And the one that that I really circled around that we had to, it was such a delicate moment that I really wanted to get right was the, there's an exchange late in the second act between uh, Jacob and, and, and Maisie uh, as they're starting to um, sort of come together as something that feels like a family. And there's, there's an exchange between the two of them, but they're, they both are, they, they both have these sort of hardened exteriors, you know, and they both have a hard time um, uh, opening up and, and really being honest about how they feel. And, and so the, they're reaching out to each other, but in a way that is that kind of falls apart. And, and I, I wanted to, to um, have a, a tender moment, be, be authentic to who those characters were. And so that was a scene that probably got rewritten maybe more than any other scene in the movie. Uh, to Even though it's not a dialogue heavy scene, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's sort of a still and quiet scene. That's one that we iterated on. And even from a camera standpoint, we really iterated on that, that relatively, you'd think, simple scene to try to get the emotion just right. We're going to take a quick break and be right back. And we're back. What do you think the biggest change was from the first version of the story you had in your head to the version we see on screen? Oh, man. Well, every movie I've worked on evolves dramatically in the course of story development. That's one of the things that is um, uh, unique about animation is it, it, we developed these, these movies and these stories over the course of years. It took three and a half years to, to make The Sea Beast. And, um, and it gives you opportunity to, to, um, to learn about things that are working well, things that are not working as well. Um, the th thematic ideas will start to emerge. You start to build a relationship with the movie as it's coming into being. And so, like I said, every movie has changed dramatically uh, that I've been on or been affiliated with in any way. Um, all the ones that have turned out, I think, uh, good have have undergone massive evolutions and uh and and in this case uh in the sea beast the, the people would be surprised to know people who've seen the film would be surprised to know that the character of Maisie Brumble was not in the first version of the script um and even as we put together our first set of story reels where you're trying to approximate the experience of watching the movie she was not in in those first those first story reels either but 
as I said, you you learn from the the you you learn from uh, the movie. <laughs> the movie starts talking to you, and and when we put it up, we realized that we had a big problem. There was a, there was a, a massive missing element, and and we needed this this really powerful force of a character who very much inserted herself into the story and wanted to be on this ship, which then be, she became such a great foil for Jacob and really allowed Jacob as a character to shine. And of course, she's fantastic and. Uh, Zaris Angel Hader, who plays her, just obviously knocked it out of the park. You know, she's 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 a young actor. We wanted someone who was who was who not a, an adult playing a, a young character, uh, but she's clearly a, a, you know sophisticated beyond her years. And so that element, that, which was you know like the movie is more about Jacob and Maisie's relationship than it's about anything else. It was not in the first script or in the first uh, uh, screening. So that would, I think, would qualify as a pretty sizable change. Yeah. Okay. So normally I don't ask this rudimentary of a question, but can you settle this? Because very rarely do you get the opportunity to like ask the you know person behind the film. My friends and I were discussing, who do you consider the protagonist of the film? <laughs> That's a really good question. I, I, I think it, boy, I think it would have to be Jacob by a hair. Um, okay. But, but. It's uh, it's you know they have the 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 there's the the two handers they call them where it's like there's two that are really kind of vying for for main character and I think a lot of people a lot of people consider Maisie the main character because she's such a disruptor you know and she and she initiates so much change and so and it's screen time wise they have you know similar amount of time on screen and and you know the, the I, one thing I believe in is is that while we're making the movie, I have this <laughs> almost sort of, uh, I, I really try to create a collaborative environment where people can, can be heard. And a lot of times my job is, is to be a conduit for other people's great ideas. That's a lot. That's maybe mostly what my job is to, to, to allow other people to make the movie better. Uh, but at the end of the day, I do have this, this power that to make final decisions about the movie. Right. And, and uh, which is a dangerous power and you have to be careful of how you wield it, right? But once the movie's done and it goes out into the world, then the audience has their own relationship with it, right? And people can take from what they will thematically and, and they can have opinions about it. And at a certain point, my opinion is not more valid than theirs, you know? And, and so I think you could make an argument for Maisie, make an argument for Jacob. But, but I do, one of the things that I, I think about a lot is that, that no character is interesting in isolation. You know, no character sitting in a room by themselves is entertaining or compelling in any way, right? And it's all about the dynamic, and and so it's a to me, it's a, a relationship is is always going to be the thing that I focus on over any one character. So it's really Jacob and Maisie together that is the movie, you know. And and so I, I it's almost unimportant to me which one you would describe as the main character. Yeah, yeah. I was, you know, obviously every single person is going to have their different life experiences and bring that to it. But as the originator of it, in your mind, I was curious as to who you'd initially, and it sounds like, you know, since Maisie wasn't in that first thing, and I'm glad she made it in because that's what yeah. I thought. I was just like, yeah, duh, this is Maisie's story. What are you all talking about? Well, that, uh, you know, that's like, I carry a certain, I have a specific relationship, right? I carried years of a version of the movie where Maisie wasn't even in it, you know? Right. And, and, so, and, and so Jacob was my initial into it, right? And so that could be skewing my sense of things because clearly when you watch the movie, Maisie is the one that initiates change and she starts to drag one generation and then another generation towards these new ideas. 
And, and so, you know, maybe I'm convincing, maybe you're convincing me that it really is Maisie. Yes, you know that's, the, yeah. I've, I've Team Maisie. People, well, yeah, no, I think it's because I've heard people make the assumption, make, make one assumption and then the other. And I never correct them because I, I, because I don't, I can't say definitively myself. That's you know? fair. I mean, also for me, it will always be Maisie's story, right? Also, I, you know, as a woman of color, as a like disruptive human being, I was just like, oh, of course, that's that's the me character, and therefore I am the protagonist of this. You know, you see, yeah. you see the story you connect to, yeah. and Jacob's just along for the ride. Whatever. No. <laughs> well, there's also, I mean, again, like the I have one, I have a particular relationship with the movie, and 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 it's 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 it, it's forged out of out of the that those years of of working on it, and you know, I got to, I never, I never met. Uh, Zaris, who plays Zaris Angel, who plays Maisie in person. I still have not met her in person because we were recording during the pandemic, so we we're recording right. remotely. Um, uh, but but of course we we would we would have these Zoom conversations and recording sessions. And and I I, I she's such a, a fantastic person and so talented. And and you know like I've I'm this I've been in animation for thirty years and. And, uh, and so I'm like hardened a little bit and crusty a little bit in my sort of, uh, uh, relationship to the movie making process. And then you've got this, like this bright shining light of, of a person playing Maisie. And so there might be a little bit of <laughs> imposing my relationship with Zara, Zaris, Zaris, sorry. And, uh, and Jacob and Maisie, you know what I mean? But, uh, uh, who knows? <laughs> All good art comes from, you know, life and et cetera. So. This is a slightly more personal question, but do you have something you consider your own sort of white whale or red creature out there that you feel like you're perpetually chasing but don't have control over? Are you talking creatively, like movies I'd like to work on? Or no, this isn't just... open to, you know, this could be life. This could be professionally, personally. Like, what is your... Yeah, I think that the, the thing that I, 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 that I think about and talk to my, my uh, coworkers about a lot is is just finding a balance in life because because animation is it's um it's it's a very you know it's 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 fun and really fulfilling it's it's it, I'm very lucky to to work in animation I'm not good at anything else so so thank goodness I I I, I sort of found my place in animation um, but it's it's a, a lot of hard work and it's a lot of responsibility and it's very demanding uh, as far as your time and your energy and and it involves a lot of sacrifice and and it just feels like I feel like I've just been been going, just been just pedal to the metal for like thirty years. I feel like I've just been working uh, my butt off, and 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 there's but but then this thing happens where when a movie ends and I'm and and you 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 kind of wind down. There's a there's a couple of weeks where you're kind of like you play a little Xbox and you hang out a little bit, but then I quickly get very bored, you know. And I, and I miss the frenzy and, and, and all the, the activity. And, and so it feels like in my life, and I don't think I'm alone here, it's, it feels like you're, I'm either too busy or not busy enough. I'm either, I'm either stressed out to the limit or I'm desperately bored. And I have not been able to find in my life uh, a nice place where I feel like this is just the right amount of stress, the right amount of work, the right amount of, 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 of um uh, energy expended, you know, versus, you know, work versus leisure time. I think that that's a thing that we're all hunting for in our lives. And I certainly have a, a fraught relationship with it, with that idea. 
Okay, your white whale's work-life balance and or balance. Yeah, that seems very fair. <laughs> I think a lot of us can relate to that. Yeah, we're all there, right? It's like everyone's just working too hard, too busy, you know? And, and I think we all have a hard time now, especially with phones and everything. We all have a hard time just being at peace with ourselves, you know, and taking it easy. Um, it's something that we've been programmed to, to sort of make that, where, where that feels almost like a, a foreign sort of uncomfortable state. And I don't think that's good for us, you know, Probably and uh, I think we have to try harder collectively. I have to try harder to, to find that place of, of peace and contentment, you know? Yeah. I think I love the line the most. Someone can still be a hero and still be wrong. Mm. So not asking for like names per se, but have you had an experience that like brought you to the revelation of this in particular, or is it just like in general, possibly working in this industry for so long, but like what sort of inspired that? moment yeah of clarity <laughs> yeah well I, I think it's a lot of it is is you know as you're making the movie you're living in this world and and sort of affected by world events and and there's the people i think on on all sides are are fighting very hard to control the the narrative and have very sort of competing truths you know um where we're having a hard time accepting one one truth and and uh and the idea that, that, that you can have a very different perspective, depending on whether you're on this side of the argument or that side, um, not just of a, a different opinion, but a different set of facts, you know, um, that that I think is something that was kind of, uh, you know, it's for everybody. That's something that we're all wrestling with now, you know, and, and I think that that was something that, that sort of fed that notion. Changing gears a tiny bit. Growing up, who was your favorite fictional character? Ha <laughs> ha. My favorite fictional character. Let me go back. Okay, so it depends on what part of growing up we're talking about. This It's up to you. Your definition. Could be modern day. Are you growing up now? Do you consider yourself that? Like, that's its own separate question. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, there, there was a pivotal moment for me watching Raiders of the Lost Ark. I sort of feel like that because, I, you know, I was uh, I was pretty young when that movie came out and I went and see it in the theater. And, and, and uh, it was a real sort of milestone in my life because... The um, and so maybe my answer is is Indiana Jones because he's just the coolest. But I remember sitting and watching the movie, and, and of course just being completely enthralled and engrossed in it, and and um, and and just just loving it, loving everything about it. And but also having a conversation with myself where I was cognizant of the fact that that adults made this thing, you know, and and um, and it made me feel like. Oh, okay. So I can grow up and I can still love some of the things I love now. You don't have to give up everything that I'm passionate about, that I care about, uh, that excites me to, to become a grown up, you know? And it was a real sort of a lightning bolt moment for me <laughs> that I was very cognizant of. And, and so, so perhaps it is uh, Indiana Jones because, you know, I love, I love that movie. I love, and, and you can probably see a little bit of, of that, that influence on, on uh, uh, the Sea Beast, where we were trying to create a hero that was capable of these incredible physical feats and feats of great courage and daring, but also was fallible and and human and and could feel pain and things like that. We were trying to find that balance, and so we were we were looking at characters like um, Indiana Jones as as great templates for that. Mad Max as well, you know. And so so maybe depending on what what what, what part of growing up we're talking about, I, I think Indiana Jones might be up there. Okay, and then related to that, who do you consider the greatest action hero in cinematic history? 
the greatest action hero in cinematic history. I would also like to note, this is not limited to humanoids. Oh, okay. So it can be a monster. It, or yeah, a it could be. I just want to open. I want to open up the question a bit. Give you some not leading the witness, but you know. <laughs> okay, I, I might ask you the same question though. You, I bet you have an answer ready to go. I have an answer. I thought about it ahead of time because I was afraid it would get turned back on me. <laughs> okay, I'm curious, but I, I think I, I have to say it's the Mad Max character. I think that's the one that um, when I, I when when Fury Road came out, I was so excited. Uh, uh, for that one, I, pro- I think I saw it four times in the opening week. There's something about it's such a powerful archetype, you know, and and this this and, I, and as I said, I love George Miller and his approach and his filmmaking and his approach to action scenes. Um, but that character who doesn't have a lot of dialogue and is, is, is who's so physical, uh, and and the way that those movies almost play like they could play like silent movies, you know. Um, where you can you could probably turn the sound off and understand everything about the story. Um, I love that, and and I love just this idea that the, he's this 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 hardened character who discovers his humanity <laughs> over and over and over again. You know that's the arc for all of his movies. Um, I just I just love that very simple archetype. Um, so I'm, I guess I'm going to say the Mad Max character. And now I'm going to ask you. What's your answer? So it's a cheating answer, but it's my own question. So I get to cheat it. My answer is Harrison Ford. Only because I couldn't pick between Han Solo and Indiana Jones. One, two, three. We're not talking about the rest. Blade Runner, you know, all that stuff. Even Air Force One. Like, I was just like, it's all of them. It's all, but it's also also very similar character in many senses. So I was like, it's just the Harrison Ford cinematic universe is the greatest action hero. I, I think I think because it's your question, I'll let you I'll get thank away you, with thank that. You. Yes. <laughs> I do also. I love the Clint Eastwood man with no name character, which is very, has a very close relationship to the Mad Max character, and I love what he did with Unforgiven, where he he sort of deconstructed everything about that character and and his and his persona and and him and 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 Clint Eastwood himself as an actor. I thought that was an incredible stunt and an, an incredible movie. Um, but I think that. Harrison Ford, I think, I think because those, his, and the the reason I, I went to Clint Eastwood is because those, those guys are movie stars, you know, yeah. like they have a presence um, that, that, uh, that, that and I love, I love that, that I miss a little bit that the era of the movie star where you would go to see movies and you would see characters, but, but they, you were, you were also always sort of looking at the persona. You're always looking at Harrison Ford as that character or Clint Eastwood as that character or, you know, Tom Cruise, you're always watching. I was just going to say, have you Tom seen Cruise. Maverick yet? Because that was the latest where I was like, oh, oh he's, well, I guess we still have movie stars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess and, we still. And, and, you know, now it's to, to, to actors. I think what people are seeking now is is for actors to disappear into their characters. You know, it's like Christian Bale or, or Philip Seymour Hoffman. These are these are these are actors that that try very much to to erase any sense of of, of who they are as people and, and become the and the characters, which obviously is an amazing ability and I, and I love that too. But but as I feel the the movie star era fading, um, I, I do lament a little bit that we have so few of them left. Was that important to you when you were doing the casting? Just because thinking of stars, I was like, oh well, Carl Urban to me is somebody who is embodies that like action hero to me. Like his character on The Boys is its own. <laughs> separate majestic thing but you know uh lord of the rings is a huge one you know he had a moment in star trek like he's it was that does that like help with the casting process having that sort of picture in your mind of like i want 
my indie. I want my Mad Max. Or was it just like, this guy works for this? Maybe subconsciously. Well, yeah, yeah. I think probably a bit of both. And, and, and it is amazing the, the, the career he's having and, and, uh, and the moment he's having, you know, with the boys and, and, and now the, the people have seem, seemingly have really sort of uh, latched onto the sea beast and, and, and it's, it seems to be finding an audience, which is of course awesome for us. The, uh, the, the interesting thing with, with, with Carl Urban, who I actually just met in person for the first time this weekend. Uh, he happened to be in LA when we were having an outdoor screening. And so, uh, we got to be on a stage together and, and, and chat for a bit in person because, you know, again, because of the pandemic, we never actually got to physically be in the same room as we were recording, but it was interesting because we, we had cast, uh, Jared Harris as, as Captain Crow, which to me was like, he was the top of my list. And, and, and I was so thrilled to get him because he's to me, one of the great living actors. But we had a billboard. There was a billboard at the studio, outside the studio where we were recording. Because this is back when we could still record in person. For, there was a billboard for the boys. And I hadn't seen it. But um, the but Jared Harris and our producer, Jed Schlinger, were big fans of the show. And and big fans of, of Carl and his performance. And and and, and we talked about, like, wouldn't, could, could Carl be someone who would, would be a, a good candidate for this part? And, uh, and, but then I, I watched the boys and, and quickly I saw it, it, it's, it, it, it might sound strange at first, but I saw a relationship between the, the Billy Butcher character and, and, the, and the Jacob character, it, which is weird to say, right? Because no, they it, does, it actually doesn't sound strange to me at all. <laughs> oh, good. Because the, the, to me that they are, you know, two sides of a coin in a way, you know, because they're both motivated by a terrible trauma, right? A great, terrible loss. And they both allowed that to sort of to define who they are in a sense and drive them towards a, a, like a real sense of, of purpose and drive. It is, it is the reason for their drive, but obviously where the, the, the Billy Butcher character um, is, is, is become very obviously hardened and, 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 and hateful and really lives in a, in a very dark place, you know, uh, Jacob has channeled into something that on its surface feels much more positive. Um, he's trying to make the world safe for other people, and he's built this this camaraderie with the ship. And he works to, and he will do everything he can, and, and he'll risk his own life to protect other people, and make sure that nothing like he experienced as, as a child ever happens again. And so, uh, so he is. So they're very different characters, you know. Like <laughs> their essence is completely. It's almost like day and night, but they have very similar um, uh, backstory and drive. It's sort of the R-rated mirror, mirror version of Billy yeah. Butcher in the series. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just like that's the opposite universe version of him. We're also very not family friendly, but you know, it's it's yeah. you can see the the shared core and like the shared mm-hmm. root. And obviously, his performance, you know, transcends those two things, connects the two. It's amazing. It's amazing. Going back to childhood, because what is the first film that you saw in theaters that you were the reason for going to see? Not like your parents took you or your friends were like, what were you just like, oh, I have to see this movie? Oh, the first movie, because the first movie experience I can remember is watching Bambi, which had a, <laughs> a massive impact on me, right? And it, you know, it introduced me to the idea of that, that my parents were going to one day Perish. die. And, and <laughs> yeah, and, and just, the, the ideas of my own mortality and one generation replacing the next, like, that's the heaviest thing you can talk to a kid about, yep. and uh, which is which. What I I think all has uh, that's a, a lesson that has stayed with me is is it, I work in animation, but you can um, 
through the the art form of animation you can you can take on some very challenging ideas you know um so the the, the first one i can remember is is bambi but i was very young and the first movie that i made a choice to go to um where my parents had no say in it that's the question well not necessarily no say but you were just like please i want to see this movie like i need to can we go to the theater you know whatever it is or you you found a way to take yourself or what you know yeah but just like uh, well, you you made the conscious decision like this is a film i want to see well i'm fast forwarding in time a little bit and i'm more just remembering my desperation to get to the theater because i remember uh bicycling in the rain to get there okay that'll um, we'll take that yep <laughs> <laughs> but it was uh the terminator the first Terminator. Ooh. um that was to me like it, it was uh it, it was this pilgrimage you know <laughs> yeah like i was gonna see the terminator i didn't care if i was gonna have to bicycle through a typhoon and and it, it, it i loved it it lived up, at, up up to my expectations and and so i should there was a there's a whole lot of time between bambi and the terminator uh, <laughs> but those were two movie going experiences that definitely stood out for me yeah i want to say they're different but i'm also like no they're both about mortality in some senses <laughs> parents and super consequences yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they, I mean, one one is about your own mortality and and your parents' mortality, and the yeah. other is about global apocalypse. So you know, those are heavy, heavy ideas, and uh, and and but just the like the, that idea that you know, just going back to Bambi, that the, the power of movies and the power of animation. We all, you know, everyone, a lot of most people in the world have this shared experience of Bambi. When you say Bambi. Everyone is sort of struck by just that that simple word, you know, that it, it everyone understands what's in Bambi, you know, that very powerful moment. And, and that to me is incredible. And, you know, it allows us to 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 have this sort of, I don't know, to 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 give us a common framework to to think about powerful ideas and, and talk about idea, big ideas. And and uh, and so I think that that's one of the reasons I love movies and love animation so much. I still hold to the theory. I hate the theory, but just like you're not allowed to have parents in animated films or you're not allowed to have. <laughs> um, yeah. Thank you for actually breaking that trope with Moana because <laughs> we got a happy, healthy family unit. That was, like, oh, well, thank I'll tell God. you, there's a lot of. We just had to is... kill grandma instead. Sorry, spoilers, but I think the statute's <laughs> up on that. <laughs> like... There was, I mean, the, the there was every movie, as I said, takes, you know, years and there's a lot of story evolutions and. Surely there were moments where we were like, oh, there's so much story to tell on this island. Maybe we should, you know, off kill her parents. parents? <laughs> maybe like maybe one, maybe the other. I don't know. And uh, but, but so just like did... a roulette wheel of like, tick, 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 tick. all right, they survive, I guess. It's grandma's turn. <laughs> it, well, it always comes down to like what makes the story better. You know right, what I mean? Right. And, and if it makes the story better, then then everything's on the table, right? But we did have a bit of a stake in the ground of like, let's make this the movie where where b- both parents get to be alive. <laughs> and uh, and and people wonder about the the reason for that and speculate why so often the the parents in in movies and especially animated movies are not present. And I think a lot of it is because uh, because a lot of anim- animated movies feature younger protagonists. And of course, movies are about you know, heading off into danger and in the unknown and facing peril and all that. If you know the kid has parents, you're always going to be wondering. Like, why aren't they inter- intervening? How do we, or you're spending a lot Where of your, social your services. <laughs> yeah. Like, like you always feel like the kid is going to be protected and, and, and there's and or, or you're allocating screen time to explaining why the parents aren't helping or present. 
And, and so at a certain point, it just becomes easier to just have them not, not present at all. You know, and I, I think that is, I'm sure there are other reasons and theories, but to me, that's the, the main reason why so often there are not parents present in animated films. Sea Beast, no parents, all action, all danger, all orphans. There's your bonus <laughs> tagline. That's why I don't do these things. Okay, so my last question is, how do you define personal success now? And how has that definition changed from when you were younger or earlier in your career or life? Oh my gosh, personal success. The um, That's a tough one for me because I, I, there's, I don't think I'll ever feel like I've climbed to the mountaintop and really really um I th- I, let me go back and just say that, that that when i first got to to disney i was very green right and and i had a lot to learn really inexperienced i had a lot to learn about about the craft of storyboarding and telling stories and 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 just how it all works you know and and but i but i i saw all the amazing art on the walls and and i saw all these incredibly talented people and 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 veteran uh, uh artists and and i and i really committed to to getting better and, and improving and and, and learning, learning the job. And, and, uh, and I was, I was never afraid of hard work. And so I threw myself into it and, and I, and I committed to getting better and better and better, but, but I'll, I don't think I'll ever feel like that journey is, is over. You know what I mean? And, and unfortunately, <laughs> fortunately, or unfortunately, the, most of the people that I, that I work with who are really talented, who I really admire, they, they are really critical of themselves, you know, and, and there's, there's always going to be a little, dash of self-loathing <laughs> that sort of eats at every great artist because you couldn't get that great if you weren't committed to getting better you know if you didn't see there was room for improvement and and a lot of people who at a, at a certain point kind of plateau are the ones that are, that are just a bit too satisfied with their own work um but then you think well then the, the counter argument is like well but maybe they're just more content and more happy and 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 more fulfilled in a way you know like there's not this anxiety or this desire this need to to, 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 to get better and to push yourself. Um, and so the idea of success, it, it's in, in a sense is going to be elusive. It's always going to be this thing. I'm trying to get better at what I do. And I think I've learned so much from the experience of making each movie. And I've learned so much from making the sea beast that I think I'll be better at my job next time around, you know? And, and so that, that I, I think that professionally, um, that the, that's, I don't think I'll ever feel like I've gotten there. Um, outside of that, I have, uh, an amazing family, uh, a great wife, two amazing kids, uh, who are seem, uh, very happy and, and doing well in school and, and they're sort of in their pursuits. And, and so I can sort of look to that and think, okay, that, that, that part of it's working pretty good. Uh, but professionally, I think I'll always be trying to reach for something that will be um, uh, unfortunately slightly out of reach, you know? Well, good news. That's the, that's the white whale question. This is the personal one. And it sounds like you found what that definition looks like. <laughs> right. so, yes. Thank you so much. Congrats on the film. Thank you. Thanks a lot. I'm, I'm glad you liked it. A huge thank you to Chris for his time. The Sea Beast is out streaming now on Netflix. And if you like this episode, we would love it if you could leave us a rating or a review or even consider subscribing.